where Moses uh, was raised in Egypt. He ran for his life. He killed an Egyptian, became a shepherd in 40 years of being a shepherd out in the desert. And God has an interaction with him. And Moses sees a bush that's on fire, but it doesn't burn up. And in verse 3, Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Do you not come any closer, God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. But this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. To bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's kind of odd wording. I am who I am. You know, it sounds more like a line from Green Eggs and Ham. Sam, I am. And it's one of those concepts that's it's, it's hard to translate. But Moses is in a situation and, you know, when he was in his 40s, he believed God wanted to use him to free the Israelites out of Egypt. He took matters into his own hand. God took him out in the desert for 40 years. But he says, now's the time. He says, the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I'm concerned about their suffering. You see, God is aware of his people. He knows what's going on in their life. He knows what's going on in your life. And he says, so I've come down. And then right at the last minute, he goes, so now I'm going to send you. And Moses is like, well, who am I? That's kind of interesting what Colin talked about in his Lord's Supper message. You know, the exact principle. He said, I couldn't see where I was to go because I was full of myself. 
And pride will blind us. Pride will block us as we get an inaccurate view of who we are compared to God. And too often we think we're so awesome and God is kind of a slightly taller version of us. He's got a few more powers, a little bit stronger. And so, hey, you know, life's going pretty good. Do I need him all that much? Moses responded, he said, who am I? He says, what if I go to the Israelites and tell them that you sent me? What, what answer do I give? And that was God's response. Tell them, I am who I am has sent you. He said, what's all encompassed in that phrase? That God is self-existent? Now, sometimes you get people ask you questions, you know, the hypothetical ones like, can God create an object that's too big for God to move? You've never heard that. You can think about that. Um, and they ask, okay, who created God? Let's see, nobody created I am. God is self-existent. He always has been. He created everything. I am carries with it that he's real, that he's perfect. You know, to be perfect, we use that phrase, oh, this is perfect. And then you say, well, does that mean it cannot be improved? And we go, well, we can always improve. Not God. There's not any part of God that we could make better. There's no flaw. There's no weakness. There's no upgrade available. You know, they don't need any patches. They don't need any fixes. God is perfect, and he always has been. And what's amazing, he is unchangeable. That means you can rely on God. Humans will let us down, and they have let us down. Why? Because we're all sinners. And we make promises, and we make commitments, and then we don't fulfill them. And so as humans, we can go, well, if that's the case, and if this person loved me and they let me down, then how could I trust in God? God says, I am who I am. What he's saying to Moses is you can trust me. You can count on the fact that I am perfect and I will never change. That's what he said. So what, what was his point? He was sending Moses on a mission. Not for the sake of Moses, but for the sake of his people. And that's our point number one. The great I am will send you to help. Help who? People that are crying out at the workplace, in your family, in the neighborhood where you live, at the gas station, the grocery store. They're crying out. And the cry reaches all the way to the heavens. The cry reaches out to God. And God says, I've heard their suffering. So I'm going to send you. It's exactly what Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
Jesus said, hey, I'm with you always, but I'm sending you. It's the same thing God did with Moses. Why? Because he cared about the suffering of his creation, of his people. And he sent them on a mission. You know, there's not one of us that doesn't want to accomplish something great in our life. Yet one of the biggest challenges we face is believing that we actually have the ability to help somebody. I don't know enough. I'm not wise enough. And God says, I am who I am. He goes, you just go and speak. I'll take care of the rest. You see, God gives your life a mission and a purpose. The Christian faith is never meant to end at you or me. God's always had a plan for those who know his truth to pass it on to people who are crying out for the truth. And this morning, he's saying to you, I got a mission for you too. Because there are people in your life. There's people that you know that you can help. It doesn't matter how effective or knowledgeable you are. God says, I'll do my part. You'll be fine. And if you get insecure and you say, well, what should I tell them? Just say, I am. Sent me to you. And they'll look at you funny, but you'll know what you mean. It'll just be one more thing on Colin's list of weird things. It's all right. The I am has a mission for you. Go over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. The disciples are in a boat. Jesus sends them across the lake. And in Matthew 14, starting in verse 22, it says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. The disciples saw him walking on the lake. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, we miss this in the translation, but that phrase, take courage, it is I. What he's saying is take courage. I am. That's the quote. It's the same thing that God told Moses in Exodus 3. He says, don't be afraid. I am. Well, Peter goes, well, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Yet in our life, we face challenges, we face obstacles. And many, many times, sometimes multiple times a day, 
Jesus comes to you and says, don't be afraid. I am. And I love this setup here. You know, Jesus could have just dismissed the crowd, got into the boat, made the boat go extra fast, and they could have landed at the same time. But Jesus is about, you know, trying to help us be convinced of who the great I am is. So he sends the disciples ahead of him, and he goes, I'm going to do something cool. I'm going to walk on water. And there's situations that God will put you in, not because he couldn't solve it in an easier way, but if he solved it that way, it wouldn't be all that much fun for Jesus. It wouldn't be all that spectacular or miraculous. It would just solve your problem, and you and I would go on about our life and give no credit to God. So Jesus says, I got a great idea in your life. And this is point two. The I am wants you to experience the miraculous. Now, it would be cool enough just to watch Jesus walk on water. But that's not what Jesus had in mind. Because you know, it's awesome when you read about miraculous things in the Bible. But you know what's way more faith building than that? Is when you get to live a miracle. And so Peter, you know, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. I am. Peter needed some extra reassurance. And he's like, oh, yeah, if so, let me walk on water, too. Just like, all right, go ahead. Good idea. And Peter walks on water for the rest of his life. He got to tell people, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus and I, we walked on water. Peter probably left out the part where he got afraid and sank. Like us, we just tell the good parts. But Peter forever got to tell a story about the impossible and his experience with what God was doing in his life. Each one of us has stories that we can talk about where God accomplished the impossible. Not because he couldn't have done it a different way. He said, no, only through the miraculous will you be convinced. I am. Say, so what situations are you in right now that require the impossible? You see, God's amazing because he actually gives you the ability to experience the impossible. Parents, we, we want our kids to do amazing things, but we don't have any ability to grant them the impossible. You know, if they haven't studied for their finals, we can pray James 1.5. You know that prayer, college students? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. He will give freely without finding fault. You need to know that prayer if you haven't prepped. And next, next final, just study harder. But, you know, I, I remember as a young Christian, I would pray prayers like, God, you know, you get home late and you're getting up early and you're going to get like three hours of sleep. And you say, God, give me 12 hours of rest and three hours of sleep. I don't know if that's really the miraculous, but God got me through the next day. 
But God has granted you an unbelievable privilege into the realm of the miraculous where he wants to do God-only things in your life. No coaches, teachers, mentors, they can train you, they can educate you, they can encourage you and spur you on. But even with the best human effort, they can't help you accomplish the miraculous. But the great I am can. And if you look for it, you're going to see situations that you go, oh my goodness, I never would have imagined this. You know, connections that were made, circumstances that happened, and you look back and you go, what are the chances of that? You know, the whole way that my wife became a disciple in Halifax, Nova Scotia, is there was a disciple from San Diego that got chosen to be on the Canadian women's Olympic basketball team that trained in Halifax. And so she flew there to Halifax to be on the Olympic team. And Cheryl's basketball coach said, hey, there's this girl flying here to train for the Olympics and she needs a roommate. Will you live with her? Just so happens that my wife is good friends of Kelly Cooper. You know, it's like, what's the chances of that? Oh, when the great I am's in charge of things? Oh, that's, it's, that's really easy. But look around. Think about your life. Think about what God has accomplished already. Because, see, God wants you to experience his glory firsthand. It's always inspiring to read in his word about it. But Peter got a different level of experience with the miraculous. And don't you know that there were many times the rest of his life would get in a tough situation and go, wait a second, I walked on water. God's got this. The great I am wants you to accomplish the impossible. So far and above human ability that we have no choice but to praise God. We have no choice but to give all the credit to God. I mean, what would Peter's explanation be? Can you, can you imagine him getting back in the boat and the disciples going, wait, Peter, how'd you do it? What, what answer did he give? There is no answer. God did it. See, when we experience the miraculous, then God is the one who's glorified. Third passage I want to look at. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? Now, these are highly educated Jews. Now, I don't know what you think about their response. You know, Moses in the Red Sea was not some little blip in Jewish history. 
say, so where do they say, we've never been slaves of anyone? Oh, really? Then why did Moses have to pull you out of Egypt? Why did God have to have all the plagues? Why did you have to have the Red Sea? But, you know, when we get in a prideful state of mind, we'll say stupid things just like this. How dare you? You know. Jesus is saying, listen, belief's not enough. You've got to hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. And then there's a whole different level of life out there. Then the truth will set you free. And they were upset. And you can go and read the interaction that they have here. It's pretty intense. Jesus gets to the point where he says, man, you're a child of the devil. That's where it goes. Verse 47, we'll pick it up. He says, he who belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there's one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. The great I am confronts sin. He wants you to help. He wants you to experience the miraculous. But he has a very high standard for your life and for my life. And when things aren't where they need to be, he will confront sin. In this case, they didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. And they went after Jesus. They called him demon-possessed. You realize they couldn't have been more wrong in their view. It's not possible to have a more inaccurate view of who Jesus was than they did. You know, sometimes as a messenger, when God uses you to confront sin... The response is great, and it's humble. Other times, you meet with opposition. And we think, oh, I should have said it different. I should have used a different verse. Listen, if the Jews could look at Jesus and say, how dare you? 
Who do you think you are? You're demon-possessed. What chance do you think you and I have of ever not hearing similar things? You see, the great I am knows exactly what you are capable of. And he expects you to live it. You think about the teachers that helped you the most throughout your life. It was not the ones that let you do whatever you wanted to do. You know what? Everybody at that moment loved the easy A. But 20 years from now, you don't look back and say, that teacher changed my life. The ones that had high expectations. It's the coach that had high expectations. It's the mentor that saw you greater than what you saw yourself and expected you to live it out. And even though we try and make excuses and say, I can't do it. It's too much. I'm too busy. The great I am says, nope. I fully expect you to deal with sin in your life. What I love about God is he holds every single one of us to account. But he also has a solution. And a little earlier in John chapter 3, he tells us what it is. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. The great I am says, I want you to come and be with me. But sin cannot exist where I am. I says, and you're capable of dealing with sin. I've given you a solution. I sent my son to die on the cross for you. But there is no option of you making it to heaven without resolving the sin problem in your life. People will ask, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? Now, a loving God has given you a solution to the sin problem and wants you to go to heaven. But because he's given us free will, he won't make you go where you don't want to go. And so if you don't want to deal with sin in your life, if you don't want to submit to the king of kings, there has to be another place. Because heaven is only for people that have resolved the sin issue. So there has to be a hell. There can't be one. Otherwise, people who don't want to go there would have to go. See, the great I am says, you must deal with sin in your life. I've given you a way out. And I know what you're capable of. John's pretty clear. 
He said, oh, when that message goes out, there's some that are going to run for cover. And then there's some that are going to run to the light. Which one are you? When you start talking about specifics of righteous living, where do you run? Say, what about your relationship? Is it pure? Is it immoral? Well, what do you mean by that? Trying to hide behind a rock. Trying to run to the dark. You know what's being asked. Are you honest? Are you initiative? Or do you have to get backed in a corner? You know, we're not supposed to be like spiritual cockroaches. You ever seen, you know, cockroaches? We don't like them. Don't want them in the kitchen. You shine light on them, what do they do? They scatter. There's actually a, a term in Southern California called church hopping. Let me, let me tell you what's going on with church hopping. I want to attend until it becomes personal. Then I will hop to a different place where I can stay hidden. You can't come to Jesus that way. Living the Christian life is not attending somewhere on Sunday morning. I mean, it's awesome that you attend somewhere on Sunday morning, but we're not going to be saved because we attend church. The great I am demands that you and I deal with sin. And he says, and there's no other option. Yeah, well, that's a challenge. Yeah, that's why he sent his son to die on the cross. Question this morning is Have you dealt with sin? Have you resolved the problem? Are you afraid of the light or are you running to it? We all have busy schedules. There will never be a convenient time to run to the light. You got to make time. You say, I'm too busy. Then quit some stuff so you have extra time. Because the sin issue in our life needs to be number one. You say, well, I I may wait it out. You always love sometimes when you're studying the Bible and they see some verses that confront it. Confront sin and things that they need to change. And they go, well, I think I want to study some more verses. As if they might read something else that says what you just read, you don't have to obey that. No, remember where we started? God is unchangeable. You could wait around a thousand years. The standard's going to be the same. He's not going anywhere. He's the great I am. He set the standard. But he believes in you. He says, oh, I've got a mission for your life. Because there's people around you that are crying out in pain and are suffering. And they need help. And God says, I'm choosing you. He says, you know what? I want you to experience life in a whole different way. I don't want you to just read about amazing things that happened in the Bible. 
I want you to experience them firsthand in a God-glorifying way that will build your faith forever. And then finally, he says, but I expect you to deal with sin. I'm going to give you a solution to the problem because you won't get there on your own. But it is mandatory that you deal with sin if you want to be with me. The great I am is looking to you. It's personal. Just like Moses. Probably won't be a burning bush. If we have a burning bush in Southern California, it'll probably be the kind that actually burns up. But God is speaking to you. God's trying to get your attention. God wants you to understand who He is and the plan that He has marked out for your life. Let's respond now to the great I Am. Let's put Him in His rightful place and keep Him there as we live out the mission, as we experience the miraculous, and as we resolve sin in our life. Let's keep this in mind as we serve the great I Am. Let's stand as we close in a final song.